We are in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13. Um, and if you would like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, we are on page 960. All right. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of all these is love. Thank you, Allie. Good morning. I want to say it's, it's fun. I was, as I was singing and worshiping, uh, it's always fun just to look out, see a sea of faces of human beings um, who chose to come here this morning, and just think about the fact that God loves all of us, um, and that we all are different, and we all bring different hopes, different fears, different realities as we come to this space this morning, and really hope that you feel welcome, really hope that you can kind of catch a glimpse of God's love, catch a glimpse of God's uh, peace this morning. Uh, would you pray with me, and we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 13. Dear God, thank you that we're here. God, thank you that you love us. Um, God, thank you that we are in this safe place. And God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would, would guide this whole service, that your Holy Spirit would guide every word that comes out of my mouth, God, and that you would just open our eyes to you. You would open our ears uh, to encouragement and to challenge this morning. Um, thank you, God, for this just sacred moment to reflect on these scriptures. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we have to look at 1 Corinthians 13, which if you've been around church or even just American culture, it's one of the most famous passages, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, poetic uh, writing about what love is, and you've probably heard it at weddings or other occasions. It's beautiful, but I want to remind you of the context um, of the writing. Remember, this is Apostle Paul wrote this to an actual church in an actual city called Corinth um, a long time ago. Um, and if we read the first part of this letter leading up to chapter 12 and then 13, it's pretty clear that these people were having a pretty hard time getting along. Um, it was a very diverse city, diverse ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, um, and it was a diverse church. And it's obvious that they had a really hard time being a healthy community together. It says they would even come to eat and have communion, and some people were eating way too much, some people were getting nothing, and they couldn't quite figure out how do we be together and love each other and do life together and do community together. They, they were really struggling. So Paul writes this really lengthy letter 
challenging and encouraging them. Here's how you can be a healthy church. Here's these things to think about. Here's these things to know about God, how God views you, and how you need to really work together um, and do this together to make this work. And I think in some ways, uh, like so much has changed in this era and this culture a long time ago, um, but some things are very similar, right? We live in a, in a diverse urban center. We have very different backgrounds, very different things that we want to emphasize or be about, and we have a challenge of how do we work together and learn to value each other and learn to love each other and learn to be a healthy church where we all contribute uh, together. And that can be uh, hard and take a lot of intentionality and a lot of God's spirit helping us be able to do that. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul lays out what I think is a brilliant illustration of a body. And he says, you're like a body. You're one but some of you are an ear, and some of you are an eye, and some of you are a foot, and some of you are an elbow, and you've got to value all the other parts of the body, and you can't do it without them. If you're the eye, you can't say, I don't need you, you elbow or you foot. I can do it on my own. You can- it doesn't work that way. We actually really need each other. And Paul writes in 12 about how we all have different gifts. God's given each of us different gifts, but the body needs all those gifts working together for us to be a flourishing church. And this 13, I said a couple weeks ago, is, is really a capstone or a finalizing of 12, of like, okay, here's this idea, we're all different, but we're one body, and then Paul writes this beautiful thing about how we love um, to make it come together. And I want to talk about the, the word love, but then the idea of love and what it means, but then also the practice of love. Um, and I want to go back actually to Jesus and start laying a little groundwork of how important this idea and this practice of loving God and people is and has been throughout the scripture. So I want to go look at Mark 12 for a moment. Jesus is always being questioned by people, always being challenged by religious leaders. Mark 12, starting in verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered well, answered them well, speaking of Jesus, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus saw he had answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him a question. So this little story points out something that that Paul fleshes out. There are lots of good things to do, lots of good religious things to do, and they're good. They're not bad. So back in this time frame, they were doing sacrifices, and they were important, and they needed to do it the way that God had taught them to do it. So they were doing these sacrifices, but this guy talking to Jesus realizes, oh, so Loving God and people is even more important than how I do the sacrifices. Wow. And Jesus says, yeah, like you, you're, you're getting it. Love God and love people. That's, that's where it's at. All these other things that you know are, are really good and necessary in different ways, but if you don't have love, you're really missing it. So Jesus emphasizes this 
Uh, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes the Shema, quotes the Torah, and emphasizing this way of love to God and to one another. And the thing is, even today, there are so many good things for us to do, right? I mean, there are wonderful programs to be a part of, there are ministries to support, there are so many good things for us to be about. So many ways we could spend our time, right? So many ways, so many good things to read. So many good things to do. But if we don't have love, we're, we're missing something. So I want to read what Paul writes in the big first three verses here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I thought about having someone clang a horrible noise, right? Just imagine. Imagine a horrible noise in the background. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, this is good. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So these first three verses are really, there's three sections, an intro and a little closing, and then an intro and a closing and an intro and a closing, three related things. The three things that are the good things are speaking in tongues of men of angels, the gift of prophecy, and actually verse two kind of has two sections, the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and then the third one, faith that can move mountains. Then the fourth one, Give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship. Now, I want to emphasize these are good things. And Paul actually uses these three things because this is what that church cared about. This is what they emphasized. This is what they valued as a church. And they were good things to value. They weren't bad things. They were good, beautiful, important things for a church to value. So Paul picks out these really important things. And he has three ways of explaining what happens if they don't have love. He says, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am nothing or I gain nothing. I am nothing and I gain nothing. Three similar endings. And there's three illustrations because people in a church value different things, if we're honest. So in the Corinthian church, maybe some person was like, I just want to have faith to move mountains. That's what a bunch of us in this church want. Some folks in the church were like, I just want to speak in tongues. That's really honored here. Some folks in the church are like, oh, if I could just have all this wisdom, like that's what's really important. So Paul hits some of these major things that they're really into and says, yeah, you can have that stuff that you're really into, but if you don't have love, it's like this awful sound. It's a horrible sound. I was thinking about a horrible sound. Have any of you ever heard a little child learn to play an instrument for the first time in your house? Or maybe your neighbor. Have you ever had an, like a neighbor learning to play something? And I love my kids, but I've had, you know, like the flute for the first time in third grade. You know, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. It's horrible. <laughs> but imagine that, just that like shrieking sound. And Paul says, you can do this beautiful thing, but if you don't have love, it's like this horrible, awful sound. And it's like it's nothing at all. So that was their big things. So here's, what, here's the question I want to ask all of us this morning, and I really want, I'm hoping that you'll reflect on it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. What would be the three or four things Paul would say to our church? If the Apostle Paul visited, 
and hung out with us for a couple weeks. And then he went off to a church in New York and was hanging out with them. And Paul wanted to write us a, a really long letter to explain how important it is that we love each other. What would be the examples Paul would use that are the things that are really important to us that he would say, okay, you can do this, that's great. But if you don't have love in it, what are the big things he would write to, to us here sitting in Oakland? I think it might be different things to different groups or to us, but I, I wonder if, if Paul would write, hey, you can read the Bible every day. Every day you can read the Bible. But if you don't have love, if you don't love each other, it's like an awful sound. I wonder if Paul would say to us, hey, you can do a devotional every morning and read and pray. You can pray every day, but if you don't have love, like you're, whoa, you are missing something. I wonder if Paul would write to us, hey, you can volunteer in every ministry in the church, right? Hospitality ministry, cafe ministry, prayer ministry, lead a home group, children's ministry, youth ministry, cross streets, lead alpha. You can volunteer everywhere. But if you don't have love, it, it's like nothing. It's like a horrible sound, an awful sound. I wonder if Paul would say to us, hey, you can go to a Bible study and go to a prayer meeting and go to Alpha Group, and you can attend every group in the church and even attend the other groups at other churches. Some of us do that. <laughs> go to every Bible study in town. What if you could do that and go to your home group but if you don't have love, it's just like this horrible sound, and it just means nothing. I was reading this and trying to let it sink in, and, and I've had, I had this recurring kind of thought, um, and this reminded me of it. As, as I leave my house, there's, if, you, if you live around Oakland, you've probably seen a lot more tent cities, right? A lot, a lot of homeless encampments um, in our city. And so, like, from several ways of my house, I pass tent cities. And I always have this thing of, like, I'm really busy. I have a lot of other ministry to do. But, like, God, these people are here, and I, I don't even interact or say hi or anything. And, I'm like, I kind of have this moment of, like, is it guilt or shame or is it God? I don't know. And I'm like, God, I, I want to make some time or energy. So, so what if I, according to this verse, like, went to my bank account, emptied the whole bank account, which I couldn't even do because my wife has all the info and I forget it. But if I could find where all my money is, I, I honestly don't, my wife knows everything. If I could somehow find all my money, right, whatever the accounts are, and like emptied it and just went down there and said, here's new tents and here's money and here's everything I have. Like, here it is. And you can live in my house that I own and, and here it is. And then if I even went down to City Hall and said, not only that, but I'm going to fight to change the system of housing. And I'm, I'm just going to go all in personal. I'm going to go all in systemic and I'm going to, here it is. Well, Paul seems to be writing, you could do all that tomorrow, but if you don't actually have love, it's just like this weird, awful clanging sound, and it just isn't anything. I'm reminded of a couple of quotes from Mother Teresa. She has a lot of interesting quotes about love, and um, a couple on the screen. One of her quotes, and there's kind of variations of this quote that floats around, is not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. You can't do everything, but you can do small things with great love. And her other quote uh, that I enjoy is, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. She would tell folks this, who would like travel across the world to Calcutta, and she'd be like, okay, so, but next, go love 
your family wherever you're from. That's actually pretty hard for most of us, so go do that. And I, and I read these two not just because Mother Teresa is cool, she's interesting, but the way she's talking about love is, is I think, echoing what Paul is saying. Because Paul isn't saying don't try to have a faith that can move mountains. Paul isn't saying don't go serve. He's just saying don't do that without love. That doesn't make any sense. Emphasize the love first. Mother Teresa isn't saying don't go to try to change the world. She's not saying don't go try to do amazing things. She's saying but you have to focus on love of the people you're serving and even your own family. Start with very simple, small uh, ways and acts of actually loving the people around us. So if I asked all of us, even before the first half of the sermon, if love was important, we would all say, yeah, right? We would all say, of course love is important. But here's the big question which Paul gets into, which I love, is what is love, right? This is a big question. Because we would all literally, if I went to each one of you and said, do you think love is really important? Does God want us to love God and people? We would all say, yeah, sure. We if I went just around the streets of Oakland and said, is it really important to love? People would say, yeah, it's important to love. Of course, everybody wants to love. But what does it actually mean, right? What does love actually mean in real life? Is love when you're 16 and you have your first big romantic crush on someone? Right? And you have like this enormous emotional feeling inside you like butterflies and you just, you're infatuated. Is that? Is that love? Is love coming to church and seeing somebody that I just really like and get along with and having like a positive feeling that I, I want to be there for them? Is that? Is that love? Right? Is love volunteering? Is, is love just being nice to Like what, what is love? Is it devotion? What, what is it? Is it just saying I love you? And saying I love you is a good thing, right? I appreciate when someone says I love you, uses the words to say I love you. That's a good thing, but is, is that love if we, if we say the words I love you or is it more? So Paul goes into this description, which is so helpful and brilliant at this part of his argument and this part of the letter to say here's what love is. Um, before we get to that, I want to read Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 and settle in this idea of an active way of love. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. It's one of my favorite little passages. Paul writes, You are God's dear children, so try to be just like him. Live a life of love. Love others just as Christ loved us. He gave himself for us, a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice to God. But this little phrase, live a life of love. Live a life of love. So I want to read Paul's description. Then I want to go through it kind of slowly. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So I want to go through this piece by piece in a moment. And before I do that, I want to point out a fact that you see this in the Corinthian church. Love can be really hard. Amen? Love in action can be really hard. Saying I love you can be kind of easy, but love in action is hard. And we all need 
the power of God, the Spirit of God to empower us to love. Amen? Like we need God's Spirit helping us become this kind of person who can love. It's hard. There are all kinds of different people in a church coming together and some of them push our buttons in different ways. And love can be difficult. And so as I read this, I'm going to read it slowly and I'm going to offer a, a little commentary on each one, but I'm also hoping and trusting that you'll take a moment to reflect on each part. That as I read each part, that you'll just really take a moment and pray and reflect and say, God, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Encourage me, challenge me what this means in my life. And even trust that God can make us people of, of more love and better love. So the first part, love is patient. Love is patient. Loving other human beings who are very flawed requires a lot of patience. Amen? Love is patient with other people who are not just the way you want them to be. Love is patient. And love is kind. Not polite, not just friendly or nice, but genuinely love is kind to other people. Love is kind. Love does not envy. When we envy someone else, what they have, where they are, the value other people put on them, the praise they get, whatever it is, it's really hard to love them. If you're really envying someone, really hard to love. So love does not envy. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love doesn't boast in who it is or its own accomplishments. Right? Love knows that God has given us every gift, so love does not boast. Think about boasting. I think about how, how a, like an eight-year-old runs in a room and boasts because that's just how they communicate, right? Like a 10-year-old runs in, I just won the spelling bee, I did it, and that's normal. When we get older, we learn how to boast without boasting, right? We learn how to go to a party and boast without seeming like we're boasting, but we want everybody to know, we want them to know that thing. But love does not boast. Connected to that, it says love is not proud. Love is not proud of its own accomplishments. Love doesn't walk around emanating pride and what I've accomplished. Love is not proud. Love is instead humble. So love is not proud. And love does not dishonor others. It doesn't dishonor others. Other people will do good things and will do bad things, and there's a point at which we hope that other people are dishonored. We hope that they lose honor because they deserve it. But love does not dishonor others. Love hopes that others will be honored. When someone falls down, love hopes that they'll get back up and be renewed. It doesn't relish in someone losing their honor or being dishonored. Love does not dishonor other human beings. And love is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. Only thinking about our own desires, our own needs, our own interests. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. 
So love has a really long fuse. Not a short fuse. Love is not easily angered. Love is patient. Love keeps no record of wrongs. This one's hard. Love doesn't keep that list in the back pocket, ready to break it out for that last thing, ready to break it out and slam it in somebody's face, your previous errors. Love doesn't have that record of wrongs in the same way. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This one's a little different than a lot of the other ones. Love does not delight in evil. Love wants nothing to do with evil. Even if it's funny, even if it's fun, even if it's silly, love doesn't want to do with evil. Just the truth. And love always protects. Love protects the human beings around us. Love sees them and love protects. Love always trusts. Which is really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to trust people because we have all been burned at some point. We've all been hurt at some point. But love learns how to trust again. Love trusts. It says love always hopes. So love doesn't give up hope when it's been burned, but love continues to hope. And love always perseveres. Always perseveres. It keeps going. It doesn't give up. Love perseveres. So as we look over this list of what love really is in real life, there's some really simple foundational things, like being kind, right? Not being self-seeking. It's like, yes, that's what love means. But one of the things I'm struck by really going through this whole list is how many, and even the final part, is how many of these things have to do with persevering and being patient in love. Like a really big percentage of Paul's description of love refers to love that is hard. Love that requires perseverance. Love that requires not keeping a record of wrongs. Love that requires trusting even when it doesn't make sense. Love that requires persevering again. And somewhere in there, as Paul is writing this and the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul, there's this idea, yeah, so love is these simple things, but Real love for other human beings, it takes a lot of coming back to the table again to love. A lot of forgiveness, a lot of patience, a lot of perseverance to come back and love over and over again. That's real love. And in this way, in some ways, this idea of love really has some correlation to romantic love. In that, imagine falling in love with someone in a romantic way. And at first, it's easy to be kind, right? It's easy to be nice. It's easy to be kind. It's easy to say good words. It's easy to put their interests before your own. It's easy to wait for them for three hours to do something special for them. It's, it's, it's just, of course you want to do that. But at some point in the relationship, I see a lot of smiles out there. At some point in the relationship, it's like, oh, this is actually tiring now. <laughs> Like some of that burned off and now I have to actually choose, am I going to be patient because now I've found 10 things that bother me about this person and so am I going to keep pursuing this love and find a way to work through those and be patient and persevere, right, and trust anyway 
and forgive and not keep this record of wrongs, am I going to do that or am I going to actually not have this relationship anymore because it's too much for me? This, this is reality, right? Like you choose at some point, am I going to keep going because it's not easy anymore. It's not fun all the time anymore. Love is kind of like that, all of love, in that you get to a point where it's actually hard. You get to a point where you're at church and somebody actually bothers you, right? Like literally bothers you for all kinds of reasons. Theological reasons, cultural reasons, background reasons, right? Personality reasons, age of life reasons, like they bother you. And there's this choice, can I still love this person? Can I stick in this even though it actually is going to take some intentionality and effort and really God's help to love this person? And to, to work through this kind of love actually takes time. It's not an instant thing. It's not something you can do when you shake someone's hand for three minutes at a church service and then you like work through that kind of love. This is a, a long time. And you can't learn this kind of love by yourself. You can't learn this kind of love doing life by yourself. This takes life together to learn to really love people in this kind of beautiful way that Paul is writing about, that Jesus talks about. And so there's organic ways in a church that we love each other, but this is a big part of the reason we have programmatic things at Regen that staff spends time on to give us all opportunities to actually be in relationship with other people and actually learn to love other people, to learn to be honest, to learn to be vulnerable, to learn to practice friendship, to learn to persevere, to learn to be patient and kind, and all these things. So that's a big reason why we have these things together. We don't do alpha group one person at a time. I mean, it would really be rough, like, staff-wise to do that. But we do it as a group, right? So people can come in together, talk about things together, learn to love each other together. And I would really encourage you, if you're thinking about alpha group or if you're new to the faith at all or want to have a refresher, to, to jump in to alpha. This is a big part of the reason we have home groups. So we can know each other. So we can learn to love each other and bring different gifts to the table and work it out together. But here's the reality. Just because you join a home group doesn't mean you magically have 10 perfect friendships that are easy, right? And I magically have community and it's just boom. I went, one, I went to home group one time. It was perfect, right? Everyone is a perfect person and they all like me and I like all them. And it's, no, it's not that way. It actually takes what Paul says, it takes patience, it takes perseverance, it takes not being proud, it takes not boasting, it takes a lot of discomfort in that process. But the way Jesus, the way Paul talks about life together and love, we actually need to push through and learn to love those people that are hard for us to love and to be patient with them. And there's something in that that is so deep in the core of our narrative of Scripture, of pushing through and learning to love one another um, in a day-in, day-out, life-on-life, honest, vulnerable kind of way. But someone's going to wear you out. I know I keep saying that, but it's in my notes over and over again. <laughs> right? Someone's going to have a weird sense of humor you don't get. Right? Someone's not going to get you when you say your funny thing and then no one's going to laugh. Like, you're going to have to work through that and be patient and learn to love. So I want to encourage you to consider Alpha. I want to encourage you 
um, to really consider being in a home group if you're not. I know some of you are in a home group. Some of you um, maybe are fading from a home group. There's a reality of seasons of life, and that's okay. But some of you maybe have been invited to a home group and you haven't gone yet. You're considering it. Maybe you used to go to a home group and you're considering going back to that home group. Maybe you're like, I think God's been prodding me to be a home group leader, but I haven't followed up on that and really, and really pursued that yet. But I, I want to encourage you, we need these spaces to have life on life where we actually can play out this chapter of loving each other and being patient and learning to be kind. I'm going to say a prayer for us. Father, may your Holy Spirit encourage each one of us in the way we need to be encouraged and challenge each one of us in the way we need to be challenged. God, this way that Paul wrote about love in this chapter is beautiful and it's also really hard to do for us in real life. And it really requires sacrifice and it requires being uncomfortable and it requires intentionality. And I ask God that you would give us the courage to take a step uh, towards love and practicality, towards love and action, towards loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, towards being encouraged, towards being challenged. God, give us the courage to take whatever that step is that you want us to take this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.